You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Michael Richardson. He is founder and managing director of Tech Azure. He is a, a global technology advisor, a long history in working with companies on technical strategy. One of the things I love about Michael is that he's not just a technologist, he's really a business person. And like I think it's always challenging in technology to speak in business terms and talk about how technology affects business. It's very easy to get wrapped up into the, to the wonderful sort of ability and, and capabilities of technology. But at the end of the day, it's got to serve the business. And I've always found you know, Michael, real expertise is working with business folks to figure out how to really leverage technology to advance and drive business objectives. Uh, so I'm excited for this conversation, talk to him about his experience, what he's doing today, and really learn about where are we in terms of really how companies can look at technology from a strategic business point of view is really what we want to talk about today. So with that, Michael, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate your having me on board here. It's a, it's a great podcast series, and I appreciate being a part of it. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Before we kind of get into our, our topics and, and things we want to talk about relative to business and technology, let's do a little background, get to know you a little bit and your history. Tell us a story. So professionally, how did you get into this? What's kind of the journey you've been on? And then we'll, we'll chat about the work you're doing today. Very well. So I started out as a starry-eyed engineer uh, years ago and, and went through the traditional multidisciplinary engineering training and, and background and had a sense for the pure technology. And when I went out to the world uh, to get into the the working space, tore into every possible challenging engineering project I could find. And what I learned very early on was that to be a great engineer, you need to be a great communicator. And to be a great engineer, you need to actually understand the business that you're working in. So I spent the, the early parts of my career working through the ladder of engineering leadership, technical leadership, project management, those sorts of things, and quickly came to see in the early days that the missing link in most organizations, and it's true today as it was then, is bridging the gap between technology and the business. So I started to focus on starting to understand the why. Why do we need to do this? The what? What is it that we need to accomplish before immediately prescribing the how of an engineering solution. And so for about the last 40 years or so, I've had a lot of interesting experiences working with a lot of different kinds of companies in many different domains, always with a focus on driving positive, effective change. How do we work together to build a new thing, to create a new process, to solve a thorny business problem with some sort of emerging technology? And I've always been fascinated with the challenge that 
emerging technologies have, something new and disruptive to get to the people. And and as an engineer, sometimes you, you think, why don't they get it? Why don't they just <laughs> see this amazing thing? If we could just use this thing that we're calling a cell phone to do other stuff, imagine what we could do. Why don't people get it? And what I realized was that because engineers speak a different language, they tend to talk to each other rather than to the rest of the room. And so a point of, of leadership for me has been learning how to empathize with what's happening in the business, to connect with the stakeholders in the business, and to really come to understand deeply how can technology be relevant to this conversation, as opposed to pushing a technology because it's, it's an amazing thing. And so I think from, from my perspective, having worked in so many different organizations on hardware and software and mechanical designs and electrical designs and enterprise solutions, the common threads have come to, to light for me. And so for maybe the last 20 years or so, I've transitioned from one senior executive position per company to the next instead to try and find situations of flux where there's change needed where there's a there's a high degree of entropy in the room and there's a market opportunity to be had for the first organization that gets its act together figures out how to work together internally and then figures out how to acquire and adapt and develop the ideal technology to enable whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. So that's that's what fascinates me. And I established my consultancy, Tech Azure, back in 2009 as a vehicle to start to create a service business around providing this kind of advisory service. And it, it comes in many forms. We'll talk about those forms. But I think that what I found is that it, it fills a gap that is very broad, very deep in especially that sort of small to medium business category, people in the 20 to 200 million range that are facing different change points. And so I, I think that's a really interesting topic. It's something that I've focused on a lot with my own work. And at this stage, I like the global aspect of problem solving. So I, I, I spend time in, in Europe and the US. I focus on working with best of breed resources wherever they happen to be around the world. And that's been very rewarding for me to be able to bring people together around a problem that they're solving and then inject the technology at the right moment in the right form to bring a beautiful solution together. Yeah. So you mentioned something in there that I want to kind of dig in on. You talk about companies that are in flux. What is the sort of the situation that you find, you know, companies need the most help in or, or where you end up, you know, helping companies in. What is the flux? What's the nature of this flux? What causes the flux to happen? Give us some insights because I find that there is, you know, there's so many different sort of types of technical situations and, and problems that come up in technology, but they're all quite different. And I, I think there are some that are more kind of more challenging to the business and, and some that are less challenging to the business. What are the ones that you typically focus on or, or what are the situations you typically get brought in on? Well, I think it, it sort of broadly divides out into internal flux and external flux, right? Where internally, for example, you may be an established business, you have a brand or a reputation, but you find yourself stalled at some point in developing the business and growing the business and competing out in the open market. And very often that comes from a limit internally 
to the ability to adopt and adapt and change, to evolve. So one form of, of flux that, that I find common is that situation where an organization needs a push, needs a pivot, needs something of a change to the internal approach of the business itself. This can be classic examples would, would be things like an organization that's used to working with only specific kinds of processes and those processes become, if not antiquated, then less efficient. And there's better, faster, cheaper ways to get things done, but they're having trouble trying to embrace those or trying to keep up with those changes. And then there's the external kinds of flux, things that are happening in the marketplace. For example, competitive threats, new technologies coming out, competitors combining forces and and changing the competitive landscape and they they need a response but again the traditional methods the way we've always done it doesn't get us there you know it's the classic you can't get there from here using the the methods that got you here in the first place yeah. and then and then i think the the mother of all examples of course is COVID-19 in 2020, yeah. the ultimate example of an external factor that caused so much flux. So we spent a lot of effort in 2020 helping organizations figure out how to digitalize their operations, how to virtualize their interactions and their collaboration in organizations that had never embraced the idea of working remotely before, as an example. Or organizations that thought it's just impossible what we do we deal with physical products and so forth how can we possibly do all that work from home and so it's it's that that's a classic kind of external influence and what brings the two types of flux together is what is what is the management team going to do about it what are the tools available to either respond to a new opportunity or respond to a, an emerging threat and I find that it's incredibly helpful perspective that doesn't have a dog in the fight. So mm -hmm. it's not someone that's defending a traditional stovepipe department within the company or someone that's uh, got ambitions of career path escalation within the organization. And, and therefore, to them, they're a hammer. Everything looks like a nail. <laughs> exactly. you know, those kinds of things. It's, it's really important at those moments, whether it's an internal or an external source of change urgency, that there's a, a trusted resource available that can assist, not come in and dictate, not come in and prescribe as sort of the expert in your domain, but instead come in and assist as an expert in what to do with these flux situations. And that's an interesting area of expertise. That's something I've focused on a lot for, for much of my career. And it's not well-defined as, as a practice. Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting question. You know, what, what, I, what I tend to tell CEOs and stakeholders I work with is, you're the expert in this domain in which you've been operating for 5 or 10 or 15 or 35 years. I'm the expert in helping you understand what to do about that domain when you face this or that or the other common pattern that I've seen over time happen time and time again yeah. with different organizations. When you're going from 10 million to 25 million, when you're merging two organizations after an acquisition, when you're building up an organization to put it on the market, there's these various change points. 
And it doesn't, turns out that it doesn't matter what the domain specifically is. There are common markers yeah. to the state of flux that they're in. Yeah. I'm curious when you, when you're kind of coming into a situation and kind of sizing things up, assessing, like what are some of the questions you ask or things that you're looking to understand that's going to give you insight into the business in terms of how technology might either, you know, help either de-risk the situation, take advantage of opportunities, you know, what, what are the things that you're looking for, either specifically or generally, when you're first engaging in an organization? That's a great area to think about. What we typically do in engaging with a, a client is to begin with a situation analysis, an assessment of what is the current state. And the specific emphasis can be driven by one of these points of flux, or it can be more holistic to start to figure out what is happening now versus what would the desired future state look like? What are the, the issues? So one of the things that we do is work with each, each individual leader in an organization, both in, in groups and then individually in, in a little bit of isolation from one another, to start to test and figure out things like, what are the pain points? What makes it difficult? What are the points of friction? And we can tune that. And actually with a few questions, you know, I'm used to the five whys of uh, Sigma. When we start to ask, well, why does this happen? Well, why does that happen? From different people's perspective and begin to paint the picture of the room in a way that the internal stakeholders just can't see most of. So by asking these questions of, of understanding what are the pain points for individuals internally or between departments, what are the pain points that customers might be feeling? What are the things that they're talking about? How do we view customer success in this organization? Have we thought about things like continuous improvement? And then start to drill into specifics of what are the methods and the tools in practice right now? And where did those come from? How are they working in comparison with what needs to be done and so forth? So we kind of take an inventory of all the friction points within the organization and with its training partners and its customers, and then start to, to prioritize those with the leadership team's help to determine of the things that we've started to observe, which ones are causing the most impact and in what form so that we can quiet the noise distill out the signal yeah. rather quickly within a few sessions. And within a week or two, we, we've got a pretty good grasp by that point on what's ailing the business or what's limiting the business or what could the business accelerate from resolving and addressing. I think one of the challenges I, I just see again and again is, you know, technologists kind of coming into businesses, you know, whether it's a new CTO, a new CIO or a, a consultant coming in, and they kind of look at the situation, they say, okay, well, here's what we need to build, or here's what we need to put in place. And they, they kind of architect this new business operating technology and business systems, you know, processes and stuff that are technology supported, you know, but yet the company is, you know, sitting on all this legacy technology and legacy data and things like that. And I think it can be, it's, it's I wouldn't say it's easy. It's one thing to go into a situation and say, oh, well, here's the ideal <laughs> solution, right? Easy. This is how you should be doing this, right? But there's, mm -hmm. al there's often this huge gap between, okay, well, great. So this is this ideal reference sort of architecture, a reference sort of system that I'd want to have. 
but this is what I have right now. I've got to figure out how to go from, you know, I can't just shut down my business for a year, build this new system and then start up again. Like I've got to keep the car going down the road as I'm changing tires and engines and parts and things like that. Like I ha- give me a little insight on a little of the thinking, the strategy, you know, when you're really looking at, you know, a current business situation, how do you start to identify and prioritize what interventions you're going to make when and how to, you know, create new opportunities or new capabilities, but also minimize the disruption and minimize risk to the business. That's so critical. That's really the big difference between what we used to call IT or what some people call the sales prevention department and and what we consider today to be collaborative technology. So the way I look at it, we're more like a doctor coming in to diagnose the patient. So we're not saying you need a heart transplant. Uh, What was your name again? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's more like, let's look at the symptoms, let's look at how those patterns line up against other familiar, similar cases, and then rather than drive right to the prescription, let's start to look at how does this organization think of itself, what degree of change are they ready to make? And that can be a financial question, that can be a willpower question, that can be an organizational culture question. Understanding what's the culture of the organization is critical to craft an appropriate change management roadmap. Because in the old days, uh, an IT person might come in, and since they've been working with SAP for 20 years, of course, the correct answer is, oh, you need a big SAP system to do all this. And of course, it's going to take massive customization because of the way your business works. And so we're going to do this. We're going to spend on this. And in two years, we're going to have this amazing big bang launch. And we're just going to shut all the old stuff off and turn the new thing on. And it's going to be marvelous. And and that was maybe two CTOs later that something actually happens, right? <laughs> because, because those career-ending decisions that the people used to make at the time. So instead of all that, instead of being prescriptive, instead of coming in and saying, we're the experts in your domain, this is how a company in your domain is supposed to run. What we do is come in and understand how is it running now? What tools are you using to do that? What are the biggest opportunities for improvement? And once we understand the difference between the two, now let's build a roadmap that's survivable so that we're, we're not going to cut you into a thousand pieces and then put it all back together. Instead, how do we find incremental improvement opportunities? And, and again, this is where the, the, the lean business, uh, agile development, and, and the concepts of Six Sigma all sort of come together nicely because the, the idea becomes how do we begin the path to continuous improvement and recognize, A, there's no perfect solution. We're not trying for that. We're trying for better. And B, uh, a phrase that I use frequently with, with clients, and, and it often sticks in their, in their minds over time, is what can we do to make it better every day? Let's not make it better next year. Let's, let's figure out what can we do together as a group, as a team, a cross-functional team, not just technology, to make it better. And sometimes making it better is, okay, put the extra paper closer to the copier. So when it's time to change the paper or refill, mm-hmm. you don't have to go around the office and look for it. And people say, well, that's not an IT solution. And the answer is no, we're, we're not about an IT solution. Yeah, we're about on. business improvement. 
It's continuous, it's continuous improvement of the business process, whatever that takes. And sometimes it's not about build a wild new thing. Sometimes it's more about polish off the stuff you've already got, get rid of a couple of pieces you don't need any longer, maybe adopt something that's very straightforward, that's out there in, in the public domain already. Uh, so we don't go in with a preconceived notion. Uh, very often, what we'll find is on the path, there's going to come a point where it will make sense to put together something that makes it easier to process your business. And that might be a platform or that might be an integration between a couple of systems that you've already got, or that might be a different way to work with or directly integrate with your customers' systems or your suppliers' systems. Uh, no, no company is an island, no matter how large they are anymore. And uh, despite the, the challenges and the discussions about globalization, the fact is we're going to continue to live in a, in a global supply chain world. And whether it's local or it's global, if it's outside your four walls, it's a partner. You have to integrate with your partner in some effective way. Uh, you can't just dictate or you can't just ignore. So I, I think the the best solutions start with getting on the path to continuous improvement, understanding that all the business stakeholders are represented in any such consideration. It's not a technical question. The technical solutions are the how. The important question is what. What is it that we need to do? And once we understand what and we agree on it internally across departments, then prescribing different how components to achieve that what is dramatically easier, less traumatic to the organization. It makes more sense to people. They, they know what to expect coming down the pike. And that extends to the company's relationships, whether it be customer relationships or supplier and, and partner relationships. Everybody needs to know what to expect and nobody wants giant disruption. They want incremental improvement and they want to understand how that's getting rolled out, who's managing the change and how are they represented. You know, we, we talk yeah. about no taxation without representation, <laughs> yeah. right? And uh, that's for a lot of people, even today, that's what IT and technology represents is sort of the death star. And we're not meant to understand this thing. All we can do is, you know, resist until we can't anymore before it gets to our department. Before and the board takes us over. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Don't worry, this eyepiece won't hurt a bit. This you know? <laughs> You'll be happier on it, the other side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trust me, it says it right here in the brochure. So, you know, it's, it's important, I think, to humanize the process and democratize the process to, to a reasonable degree so yeah. that people understand why are we doing this, you know, because there's always this... There's always that group of people that feel like it works great the way we do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about that because I think that in, yeah. in the service companies, this is where this, I think, becomes so much of a challenge. I mean, because I, I think in, in tech companies or if you're a you know, manufacturer of some sort, I mean, you're dealing with systems and equipment and things like that. Anyway, I think there's a natural kind of process, engineering process kind of view that they have. But for service companies, it's so people-focused that as you start to grow a service company, obviously, you know, you need to kind of standardize process and build systems around supporting some of these things. But yeah. but you're dealing with people and you're changing people. Like, how, how do you, 
what's the what's the kind of strategy you use, or, or how do you work with companies when they're, hey, look, we're a, a you know fifty person or a hundred person company, we're doing X amount of revenue, and we want to ten x this. We're going to have to put in systems, but how how do you work with these folks? How do you work with you know Bob and accounting and Betty and customer service to really kind of help them understand what are the systems, what are the processes, how do we standardize things, how do we bring technology in a way, but that's not going to yeah make them. You know, turn them into the resistance. <laughs> you know, turn the you know into, <laughs> yeah. into the you know the Luke Skywalkers of of uh, uh, you know of the company and trying to fight this process. I'm like, what, what what's the psychology there? Well, that's that's really a key to the secret sauce that that I've been working on developing. You know, for the last twenty years, and and so let's cut to the chase on that. The idea is we have to come in and connect with people as as a trusted advisor, as an empathetic resource. So the most critical thing in starting engagements that we do is to make the people connection to start to, to build some trust through listening and through asking thoughtful questions and then paying attention to the answers, uh, learning how to play that back in, in the group context. So I can give you an example, I, I, again, because of confidentiality, you know, nobody wants to expose their dirty laundry. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but I, I can tell you that uh, there's there was a service business of maybe about 125 people that was working on a very heavily document orchestrated process, sort of a compliance process that involved, you know, contracts and images and all kinds of things. And... Uh, with with many many customers, this is a company that had literally hundreds to low thousands of projects going at a time with dozens of customers, and so uh, their challenge was how do we keep track of all this? Their their original solution was through lots and lots of different spreadsheets, and then at one point they kind of developed a legacy solution which was a, a stepping stone away from pure spreadsheets, but they sort of fell back to the spreadsheet world and used their own legacy system. And what it became was, was a huge freestyle organization where you could advance in that organization if you kind of memorized all the, all the rules and all the things that you have to do externally. And as long as you were really solid in the domain, how you did it, wasn't so much the problem or wasn't so much the, the thing anybody paid attention to. And as a result, the aftermath kind of downstream from that was a real challenge, uh, a challenge to the point where, uh, for example, in the accounting department, trying to generate invoices against these projects became almost impossible. It was a, a real haystack uh, kind of an effort. And customers began to uh, resist and and began to delay payment in some cases for extraordinarily long periods of time, yeah. because basically it was impossible to reconcile what was done with what's being invoiced, and so that was an entry point for the engagement to start to look at how is that possible? What's happening? And the the way that we untangled that that web was to get groups of people together and start to break the process into stakeholders are involved in this piece and stakeholders are involved in that piece and start to develop a sense of camaraderie around people that are working with specific aspects of the business and uh, a sense of connection and communication and empowerment 
between them at, at all levels and their counterparts in some other area of the business that were either upstream or downstream from their part. So uncovering the warring camps, uncovering the uncovering the people that, that feel that our department is the one that has our act together, nobody else does, um, and, and helping all involved to understand that once we can begin to talk about it as a process, then we can start to talk about what's going wrong with the process as opposed to pointing fingers at each other as people and saying, well, Bob's just no good. Or, you know, Susie makes so many mistakes or Dave just doesn't pay attention. I don't I don't think he really cares about his job. You know, those kinds of things. Turning that into how is it that it's so often we miss this particular billable item or where do these documents go after they get approved? Because they seem to be really hard to find, you know, and suddenly people can come out with solutions to problems uh, that are really hard to admit when they're framed in the framework of you're not doing your job and it becomes I could do this faster if I had three more of these or if I knew where this ends up or if everybody would put this in the same place, you know, that kind of thing. It's a little bit like that stone soup story, you know, of yeah, <laughs> exactly. going around the city and everybody yeah. brings out their ingredients and pretty soon you've got a great soup. So that, that's been very successful in helping service businesses to untangle the internal stresses and politics and everything else and start to learn the, the terminology of process and the, the mantra of continuous improvement and getting it down to, okay, so at the end of the day, how have we made it better today? What are we going to do to make it better? And then connecting that, last comment there, connecting that to the customer experience so one of the experiments that I do with groups in the early going, uh, because I hear terms like overwhelmed and exhausted and confused and stressed, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, so one of the things I say is, hey, everybody, let's try an experiment. This week, if you're doing something, some kind of a task that's taking your time, and you have no idea what its connection to your customers is, just don't do it. And let's see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> and the managers kind of get all stressed and look at each other. And the, the workers all look at each other and go, hmm, yeah, wow. Think of the time I'd have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And one, one of my ground rules I often bring into meetings is we, we tackle issues, not people. Right, like we gotta yes, we gotta yes. focus on the things that we're having challenges with, not trying to assign blame because we're just we're never gonna get anywhere if we start getting into blame. It's <laughs> just not gonna. Exactly. It's gonna drive us into the ground. Interesting. Exactly. And, right. and what are some of the? I mean, I, what are some of the technical trends or things that are going on today? You know, over the last couple of years that have really kind of changed the landscape for you in terms of you know how companies approach technology or or you know technical systems or even technical solutions. Just what what are the things that are really kind of shifting and changing uh, in, in the world of technology for businesses? I think it's it's a short list of really, really profound things that are happening in everybody's life. So, for example, uh, the advent of smartphones and the app world and the super empowered and super informed consumer. So all of us, separate from whatever we do for work, and no matter... to to a greater degree, no matter what kind of a Luddite we might be in our workplace, we've all become 
users, active users, very long daily active users of all things social media, of of everything to do with convenience applications and applications to communicate with each other socially and, and outside the workplace and keep track of things and save our photos and share videos and manage our lives through our phones. So we've all become accustomed to technology deeply embedded in our life, whether you're the, you know, the 95-year-old great-grandmother or you're the, the college kid or every single person in between. There's really no group anymore, at least in, in the developed world. And, and frankly, even outside, there's, there's no group that's outside of the sphere of that technology influence. And what that's done is raised the bar, raised our expectations on what tech or what technology should be able to do for me in the workplace. So for a lot of people, there's a huge disparity between the way I can do everything else in my life and then when I go to work, the way I have to do it there. Huge, huge source of uh, flux for lots of organizations. Another one I think has to do with uh, the idea that uh, the idea that uh, out big rooms with blinking lights of computers and guys with pocket protectors and <laughs> and this sort of separate world in the basement somewhere that did stuff. And that that whole image, that whole existence is sort of faded and disappeared, certainly for virtually all of small to medium business. Nobody's building so much these IT chambers any longer. The, the advent of everything moving to the cloud, of software virtualizing all that infrastructure, and even the jobs that go with it sort of evaporating or transforming into other things. So the accessibility of really scalable uh, really flexible, really powerful technology is now very high. And again, in that world, it's it's puzzling. It's a conundrum. How so many businesses think about just America? So many businesses in America are so far from contemporary in the way that they operate technologically. You got to ask yourself why in a world where it's so available. And I, I think it's just it's it's a very very slow dispersion into traditional businesses and even new businesses that I've dealt with that base themselves on whatever was handy for the founders. Because again, founders tend to be SMEs in a specific area. Yeah. And unless that area, like you said, has something to do with tech, if it's not, if it's something in retail, if it's something in food service, if it's something in legal services or something else, it's very common that they actually start with antiquated stuff, even though it's a startup. So I think I think those are huge factors. And then, of course, again, laid on top of that is this massive change in the new normal of working from home and yeah. the need to virtualize operations and become truly digital. And I think we've we've seen, you know, look at we still talk about e-commerce adoption 25 years later. I mean, I started with e-commerce back with doing things like uh, Disney.com's first Christmas website yeah. in, in 1999, right? And those those kinds of things. And yeah. we still talk about what's the percentage of brick and mortar versus e-commerce. So it's the diffusion of this technology out to all the other practical spaces that's really happening now and I think is, is accelerating. 
So yeah. I think that's that's an opportunity for all service businesses, basically all businesses, but in the service businesses in particular, how to how to embrace that, how to become a part of that, how to be comfortable generation skipping. So there's lots of organizations, that, you know, that, that we've talked with where you're going to skip all the traditional steps and go directly to a mobile first environment in which everything's in the cloud, everything's integrated and you're fully collaborative with your customer as step two, not step 25. Yeah, accelerate that process. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, this has been a pleasure. If people want to contact you, find out more about what you do, have a conversation around some of these topics we've discussed, what's the best way to get that information? Well, first of all, my email is michael at techazure, T-E-C-H dash A-Z-U-R dot com. You can visit our website, www.tech hyphen azur.com and learn about our story and our services. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I've got other other business activities and things going on and always happy to build out the network and talk to people about what's happening in their lives and in their sphere because that's how we learn. And part of what we try to do is build learning organizations. So ping me, connect, yeah. let's talk. I will make sure that the links and the email and the URLs and everything are on the show notes so people can click and get that. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Bruce. Cheers. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.